You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got the one and only Bobby Asinski. Bobby! Good evening, Mike. Good evening, everyone. And uh, across the table, we've got Mr. Scott Gershon. Hello. And you know what? Because where I'm sitting, yes, I'm keeping the seat warm That's for, the, right. for the Iron Man. That's right. And joining us via Skype, Mr. I'm somewhere in this world, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Rob Arbiter. Rob! Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. And greetings from... Where am I? Check the yellow pages. Oh, I seem to be in New York City. New York City. New York, New York. Are you out there for it's, business or pleasure or both? No, I just forget where I live, and I'm just going to keep checking cities until my key works someplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm uh, for a couple days, and um, looking forward to getting back to L.A. It won't be much longer, but uh, for now, I'm here in New York. And well, you're missing L.A. It's cloudy and rainy. That's right. Oh, unlike here where it's just cloudy and not rainy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to have you in your normal state, uh, Rob, <laughs> via Skype. Um, guys, we got a lot to talk about, even though it's a small, a small group of us today. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about. First of all, this is show 161. This is our first show of our ninth year. So uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, and second of all, Man, there is just there's just so much to cover. I don't know where to start because on some of these things I'm angry, and some of these things I, I need some help. And others we've got I got some opinions and stuff. Um, so we're just going to start really quick recapping some of our the things I want to catch up on. Um, it was really interesting that we talked about Guitar Center, Bobby, um, on our last podcast, and then their, your Forbes article came out and uh, let me tell you man Guitar Center is just it's just hurting and I and I really I like what you said in, in that article about um, the guys that are working there kind of getting caught in the crossfire you know because there's some really good guys that work at Guitar Center that are basically they're the last ones left I mean everybody else is kind of jumping ship and they're still there and, and I and I you got to feel for them because I really do I, I went and I did some um, business down over at the uh, the guitar center in orange um i actually had to return something and pick up an h6n which in the old days they'd have zoom products all over the place but they didn't have an h6n in uh, in la i had to go all the way down to orange to get one wow i mean it just goes to show you and by the way it's a great unit we can talk about that later yeah. but the guy that was there you can tell he's worked for guitar center for a while and i just felt so bad just to get keys to open the display case was just was just ridiculous. We had to wait like 15 minutes for yeah. that one guy that has the keys. Yeah. To recap, what Guitar Center did is they cut the pay, cut the the royal the uh, commission for all of their salesmen, and they cut it down from tw- 10 to 12 percent to 0.25 percent barely making it worthwhile. And then they made it even worse by making it more difficult for an employee to buy gear. I mean, one of the reasons why you want to work there is because you can buy gear cheap. Right. Well, you can't anymore because they raised the price to employees 10 to 12, 10 to 15%. So 
And then they made it even worse by cutting hours of all their employees, which is a roundabout way of firing people without actually firing them. Right. So basically they cut... So everybody becomes part-time workers, and now they don't have to do benefits? That's right. So it's not only the employees, it's the managers. And as... One person told me they feel, this is the employees, they feel they're on a, a liquidation staff. That's, now. that's probably true. Yeah. So there's fewer SKUs. In other words, there, there's fewer t- uh, products that they carry. Right. There's much less inventory than ever ever had. And they don't have as many salespeople. And, you know, it's just getting really tight there. Well, you know, one reason, we talked about this on the last podcast, so I'm not going to rehash everything. But one reason I wanted to bring it up this time, because I was thinking, as I was in Guitar Center, um, and me and Martin, you know, we're, we're putting together his studio, and we're having to pick up some stuff. And it's just, we're, I'm just amazed at the gear they don't have. I mean, just simple, like we needed high-quality um, TRS to XLR um, male um, cables, right? A little six-foot. Like any other time, you'd, you'd find a hundred of those. They didn't have any. They did not have any at all, you know? And that's and this was at the Sherman Oaks store. And it was like, that's just crazy. But anyhow, as I'm looking around at all these things, there's a lot of manufacturers that biz- their business is tied up with Guitar Center. Yeah. I mean, they push a lot of product through Guitar Center. How do you think it's going to – what's the ripple effect going to happen? Now, I know in software, thank goodness, you know, the software – those companies are less and less dependent on Guitar Center, you know, although they do sell a lot of software there. Um, but you can do direct downloads from a lot of people now. But what do you think is going to happen with some of the hardware guys? It's going to hurt a lot of them and mostly the smaller ones because – what Guitar Center did in the past was they basically said, we will give you a big order here. And the dangling of the the big money carrot is more than most manufacturers could actually deny. They had to go for it. But what would happen is they'd have to staff up and they'd have to gear up to suddenly manufacture a lot more. Well, that's all well and good as long as Guitar Center is buying it. But when they stop, then you're at a level that's very difficult to back off from, especially if you know you have to order way in advance. Yeah. So the the one consolation in all this is this has been coming on for you know a good year at least. So everybody's kind of seen what was happening, and I think I'm hoping that a lot of these companies have made contingency plans already. So it, it, I'm sure it's going to hurt some, but you know, there's been enough of, of these things in the news, of these stories in the news, that uh, it shouldn't catch anyone by surprise at this point. Um, do you, do you think that companies like Sweetwater or some of the other bigger stores that are quite that are known nationally online would then hit strategic stores, let's say like the Hollywood Guitar Center, or? In other words, as they went out of business, do you think key competitors would then try to acquire their assets? Well, already what I've been seeing is Sam Ash is running television ads. Sam Ash never did that before. So I think we're seeing Ash gearing up for some sort of play. And it might not be acquiring the stores. It may just be trying to um, uh, up their market share. 
they may open up their own stores and they may just say, you know, goodbye to Guitar Center and what they but are. I, I, you know, but I'm again, with strategic places because it's not that easy to put a store in and build it out. And if you get pennies on the dollar to basically come in and just change the front of the store in those desirable areas. Ash already has a store across the street in Hollywood. No, no, but I'm not talking about even Hollywood. I'm talking about in Arizona and Nevada and Seattle and how, San Francisco. How is Sam Ash doing, though? I mean, some- everybody's doing you know much better. As a matter of fact, he talked about Sweetwater. Sweetwater's sales were up, I don't know, 25% last year. Now, they do everything online, and it was interesting in if you looked at the Guitar Center report right. at the end of the year, they were down. Their online sales were down by like 15%. Yeah. And you think, wait a second, the rest of the world is up in online sales, and you guys are down? What's the story there? So, you know, you look at that and you think, there, there's something wrong with this picture. Well, I will say that um, I, I do notice in the whole skate, landscape of, of retail stores, even Sam Ash, like I've gone to the one in Cerritos and I've gone to the one in Hollywood, um, they don't seem as vibrant as they used to be. Um, they, they're not nearly as busy like on a Saturday as they used to be. And the other thing I notice is that Sweetwater has kind of adopted their old – um, method of selling because you establish a relationship with a Sweetwater um, guy who calls you and emails you and calls you and emails you and calls you and emails you. And calls you and email. yeah. <laughs> Those guys, they, they, they call. But at least they're checking up on you. Granted, it's a little much. I think sometimes I just want to buy stuff and then leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, right. You know? But I can understand that I know other friends of mine who actually have gotten to know their guy and talk, call him up and ask him gear advice all the time like you used to do over Guitar Center. So oh, The little packets of candy or you know, hard <laughs> to resist that, that you get from the sale. It, anyway, well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, it's really going to have some big repercussions in the whole industry. Rob, were you going to say something? No, no. Okay. I'm good. I'm just listening. <laughs> um, it, it's going to have some repercussions so if it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to go totally belly up, though, right? I mean, there's going to be there's well, different versions of how the end story, you know, can play with these guys. As I understand it, they still this is Guitar Center management still holds out the hope that in fact they're going to be saved, and they're going to be saved by someone outside of the industry who has lots of dough, who um, isn't looking so much at what's going on. They're looking more of a, again. We're talking about financial engineering. So it might be another financial engineering play. And this would be something like another bond fund that would come in because Guitar Center, and now it's Aries Capital that owns them, and they have lots of bonds out, which are paying a high interest rate. And again, we're getting into deep financial stuff here, but basically what happens is because they're paying such a high interest rate, you have pension funds and you have bond funds that look at this and say oh we like that return wow that's more than we can get anywhere else let's put our money there so that's kind of the hope that there may be another round of that but they can't issue any more bonds because they're in junk bond territory now that's kind of crazy to think that <laughs> that it's going to be a financial institution that's going to come in and try to save these guys without them knowing about the, what makes them tick well I, I tell you, it's something else. This is interesting here. What I just found out is that the top three layers 
of Guitar Center Management have never been in our business at all. Mm-hmm. You have to go to the fourth layer to actually find a manager wow. that's been in, in our business. Rob, were you going to say something? <clears throat> yeah, I'm just curious. And actually, Bobby may have just answered part of the question, but what is it that Guitar Center did so wrong? Why are they in this predicament? Well, okay, here's the backstory. Guitar Center was originally owned by one guy. And he died. His wife inherited the company. She didn't want it. So she sold out to the employees for $10 million. And they were really good salesmen, but they weren't good managers. So they were freaked out that they couldn't make the payments. And in fact, they couldn't. So a new manager came in with big dreams of taking them public, which they did. So they went public. A few years later, and now here's the problem of being public. They had some big stockholders that were saying, more growth, more growth, more growth. Get bigger, get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. Create more value for the, yeah. for the shareholders. Yeah, and they got to the point they couldn't borrow any more money to hmm. do this. So they turned to Bain Capital. And Bain said, wait a second, we know how to do this. We'll take you private so they cashed everybody out and they took him private and bain did what it usually does it puts a little bit of money in and floats the rest with bonds so basically it's everybody else is paying for this so now they have big debt 1.5 billion dollars in debt they have for guitar center okay now what happens is they did it just at the wrong time Usually what they would do is they would flip this in three to five years to somebody that is stupider. (laughs) And that's generally the way it works. They couldn't do it this time because 2008, we had the recession, the big recession. So Bain got caught. And they had to keep on pushing their big payments back more and more. And when they did, the debt kept on rising and rising and rising. And then it got to the point where they couldn't pay anymore. So the biggest bondholder, which was Aries Capital, basically said, okay, we're taking over now because you guys can't pay us. That's who owns it now. So they're desperately trying to get out from under this huge debt. There's Next year, there's a almost a $700 million balloon payment coming up that they've pushed off. They've managed to push off for a couple of years. They can't push it off any longer. Yep, and so here we are. Wow. Well, I mean, the bad part is we're talking about the music industry, the musical instrument industry, which, look, it's not big enough to have public offerings. It's not big enough to have financial engineering, and it's not big enough to have people involved in the management that don't know anything about the business, especially, you know, when it comes to selling guitars, playing guitars, music, anything. That's true. Well, and it's certainly not big enough to support a company that has $1.5 billion yeah. in debt. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, well, I'll tell you what, that, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. I, 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 you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but boy, it's, it's, there's some drama there going yep. on. There's some drama. It'd be a shame to see it all go away, um, but if it did all go away, 
quite frankly, it's not like it's the old Guitar Center anyhow. Look, even back in the day, nobody really liked Guitar Center, but at least you knew you know you knew who your enemy was, and you and, and they you had, dealt with them. They had lots of stock, right. yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And they, and they had st- and people didn't like them for the opposite reason because they were undercutting everybody. Yeah, you know. So it's it's really interesting to see what happens. Hey, um, we're going to move on, and before we move on, we've got to um, we got to answer a listener request and rob why don't you uh why don't you fill us in on uh, we had a listener who sent in a uh, a question for rob and i told him we'd talk about it in the next podcast and uh rob i'm gonna turn it over to you all right well and yeah the email and you're turning it over to me because you're you're not sure how to pronounce his name i'm sure isn't <laughs> that, that is right absolutely Mike? correct <laughs> <laughs> and i'll i'll give it a uh a try i believe his name is jorn ariel grefsrud and uh, he runs a studio in Norway, and he asked about, uh, he's dealing with an artist uh, with very poor eyesight and was asking me about uh, some tips uh, uh, for what that artist could do to be able to uh, use some software, you know, different apps and programs that uh, uh, might be able to be used for uh, to create music and other audio uh, for the visually impaired, or I'm not sure if, if this person is totally blind or just visually impaired. Um, and he asked if I had any tips because I've uh, you know done it for Stevie Wonder for so long. And sadly, I don't have too many tips for things that are available out on the open market. With Stevie, I would usually create customized systems because he had a very specific way he liked to work. And over years, that way sort of evolved with us working on it together. And because there weren't any commercial solutions, we created our own. And because the stuff was created just for him, it was never debugged well enough that it could be uh, sold as a product or even given out to the general public without having to do massive amounts of tech support because the stuff wasn't really uh, all that bulletproof as far as software was concerned. Um, we did, uh, he did used to let his friends use it like Ray Charles and, and Diane Schur. At one point we talked about using it, but, um, for the most part, the stuff I developed for Stevie was, was Stevie only. Now, part of this is because I started doing this back in about 1985 when there were zero options for the blind as far as music production and software. Actually, there weren't many options for music production software, period. But, um, as time has gone on, gone on there are a lot more possibilities out there. Like because the Apple operating system is set up so well with non-visual layers and the speech synthesis and voice recognition and all that stuff, any music application, and I believe logic is pretty good with this now. uh, Any, any music application that's using that API uh, should be able to be pretty easily used by uh, people who are visually impaired. The, the one on the PC that for the longest time, was the leader in this was Cakewalk and Sonar. They had specific versions, uh, I think it was called Cake Talking or Cake Talk, uh, where it could actually speak to the user, and it was designed specifically for blind people. Um, I played with that for Stevie for a while, and we even had one of their engineers do some customization, but Stevie was so locked into the way we had developed uh, his, his workflow for decades that he didn't end up using the cake talking stuff for long just because it didn't work the way he was used to. And I continued to customize, but um, I'm happy to look into it a little bit more uh, for you. And I appreciate the email. Um, it made me feel bad because I've, I've had many, many blind uh, users contact me over the years, just finding me through Stevie. And I always have to tell them the same thing. 
it's just the stuff we build is so customized that I just, I don't know that it would apply to a lot of other people's workflows. But uh, I would definitely check out the current status of cake talking on the on Windows, and I would definitely uh, check out the current status of Logic on the Mac. Because I've heard that because they're using their own uh, APIs for non-visual use that, that they've come a long way. I just, I haven't used them personally, so I can't say 100%. Great. Well, that answers that. So, Jorn, I hope... Uh I will say. I, I will also say it was extremely cool to get uh, your email from Norway, and I wish I could help you more. But I really do appreciate you listening and writing. That's what this show is about. Well, I, I can't. How can you? You can't We're going to move on because that was brilliant, Rob. Hey, and true. <laughs> really quick, I just want to say one quick thing with you guys because um, I'm going to push some other stuff to the second half because um, we're kind of running up against the clock on this first half. But first of all, um, <clears throat> just so you know. Um, I really hate Pro Tools right now. I'm just going to tell you that right off the bat, and I need your guys' help because I'm putting together, like I've been telling you, Martin System. We're running Pro Tools 11.3 on Yosemite, and we are getting nothing but problems. I mean, horrible, horrible problems. So, so Yosemite. I mean, it's it's, and we can't go back. The problem is, is we bought the Mac Pro. We can't roll it back because we had to buy it with Yosemite and it is I have so, the same problem by the way it's oh, so unstable I'm going to tell you a couple things and Rob I, I need your expertise on this one thing is is we open up the system usage alright and we look at the cores and we've, we got the 6 core so it shows up as 12 cores right Core number six takes off and, and goes up to 40%, 50% usage um, just on its own when we're not doing anything. Now, we literally – I stripped out all the plugins on Pro Tools. We had um, Waves and some native instruments and Omnisphere, but Omnisphere turned out to be a really big buggy thing with, with Yosemite. Um, and and this is Omnisphere 1. It wasn't even Omnisphere 2. So you know we're hoping that it, it gets better. But – I stripped all those, and we also had Isotope on there, which is not a whole lot of plugins, just you know, four manufacturers. But now we don't have anything on there. We're getting CPU overloads left and right, and we're getting funky graphics problems too because we're using two monitors. And this is a trash can? One, yeah, and this is a trash can, and it's really frustrating. You go on the boards, and you see a lot of other guys having the same problem, and you see no response from, from Avid. We don't see anything well, I, from I don't, you know, From what I've heard... Because um, I've had the same problem. Oh, what are you writing? You were, running Yosemite? Um, I went. I, I should have gone Mountain Lion and went straight to Yosemite on okay. an old eight core. Is it a trash can or is it? No, a, it's uh, an old eight core. Uh, and and everywhere I look, everyone's complaining about Yosemite. So it, I, I don't think it's really avid as much as it's Yosemite. And every something they've done and something that's unique from Yosemite compared to Mountain Lion is something that's changing the way everybody works. So every program that I use is like, yeah, we're going to get it to work soon. It's kind of buggy and not, you know. But yeah, I know. But Avid said that eleven three was like blessed. Actually, eleven one I think was supposed to have been blessed or something like that. Rob, what are you running your Pro Tools on? What's your Pro Tools system? Uh, I run it on. Uh, I don't have any machines on Yosemite oh. yet. I'm running Pro Tools ten and eleven depending right. on the machine, but I don't have Yosemite line, right? on any. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's what everybody uses. Now, I'm, yeah, I've heard too many people having problems, so I just it's, there was no reason for me to move up. I'm on Yosemite, and forget this is on my normal computer, my laptop. Right. 
which I don't use for audio. And it's absolutely rock solid. It's fabulous. I have no problems at all. Right. So as far as the operating system talking to non-audio programs, it seems to be great. Now, I'm with you because I'm actually running on my laptop, running Yosemite, and I'm running 11, and I don't have any problems. Um, so that's kind of weird. What's your interface? Well, on my other computer, on, on my studio computer, I'm running Yosemite, and I tried to run 10, and 10 I had terrible graphics problems. I couldn't get it to work. So I went to 11, and 11 has been fairly solid, but I haven't pushed it really hard. A lot of, uh, I have a lot of plugins, more plugins than ever, loaded in, no problems at all. Uh, I haven't had any crashes, but I haven't pushed it hard. Not and have you, and have you updated all your plugins? Because that's yes. one of the things that I noticed. Yes. I did I it all the update. latest and greatest. Yeah. Really quick, what, what is your machine that you're on? What's your studio machine? iMac. Okay, so it's an iMac. iMac yeah. See, we're on the we're on the trash can, and and Rob, I was going to ask you if you saw system usage and you see one of the cores just going crazy when nothing's happening, and the only thing in the session is basically playing back audio. I'm, what does that what does that scream to you? I mean, is that a program thing or is that an OS thing? Um, it could be either. It could be an OS thing like Spotlight running in the background and indexing or something like that. It could be some plugin that's just passing silence, and and a, some plugins when they're dealing with very low levels, they have to do high precision math, and and that can make a processor work hard. I mean, it's really hard to know. Um, what I generally do in a situation like that is you start by just turning off everything you can think to turn off. Turn off screensavers. Turn off spotlight indexing. Turn off anything that seems like a behind the scenes thing, because some of those some of those actually would not show up in a CPU meter necessarily, depending. At what level they are and what they're doing, I would look on the max activity meter uh, to see if something there outside of Pro Tools is maybe spiking the CPU for yeah. some reason. Yeah, I went. On, I went on the activity. Nope, nothing. Pro Tools is taken. It's it's all sixty four percent of the system. So when you shut Pro Tools down, it does that. Core go back to normal. Well, the core is in Pro Tools when you oh. you see. Yeah, the meters in Pro Tools. Yeah, the meters in Pro Tools, and and what's so crazy is it just you just see it going up and up and up and up, and then as soon as you hit play, it releases. So and you're it goes not using any kind of card, no native card or HDX. It's a native. It is a native running not on native a, HD. On a, it's a it's a native uh, Thunderbolt. So we're running off Thunderbolt, and I did all the optimizations on the Mac where you have to turn off the FireWire networking and all that, all that kind of stuff. They, there's a whole guide in how you set up your Mac, and it's just so. Does it ever? Does it? Does it ever? Uh, if you don't hit play, does the activity uh, or does the usage meter ever go down, or does it no, just? It just goes. It goes up, and and it, it's it's crazy that it does that and it's it's just it does that on its own you know what's interesting i didn't do any of that optimization so in other words i all the things you talked about you know optimizing it that avid asked for i did none of that and it works fine <laughs> well the weird thing is, well i'll tell you what when we first did it i didn't do any of it either and it started going squirrely. So then I thought, you know what? I'm going to do all this optimization. And we brought it down some. I don't know. I just wanted to throw it out there. It's really frustrating. And, and the big question is, 
Should we just bail on eleven and go to twelve, thinking that they that's put what more? they want? I know, and and it's like, is is that? Do you guys think that is the solution here? Is should I just take them to twelve and and then just be done with this eleven? Days? How much is it to uh, upgrade from eleven? To 12? No, no, we've got the twelve upgrade. We can do it for free. It's not a problem. It's just I was surprised. I put eleven in first because. We'd been working with ten, so ten to eleven is not quite as bad of a jump as from uh, you know eleven to twelve. Then would be just a total normal. It, it's there's not a whole lot of differences other than some of the built-in um, networking uh, collaboration tools and things like that. But I'm we were I was so blown away at how poorly the system that's supposedly blessed for that OS is functioning that it. it I'm scared. It's like, okay, do we go to 12? Thinking My thinking is that they put in more R&D on 12 on Yosemite because that's what Apple had at the time, and that's what they gave them. Now, here's something that I found out that most people don't know, and, and this came from a very highly placed source uh, that I don't think I can quote exactly. But anyway, they did... They looked at 12, and... When you do all the collaboration stuff and you actually talk to their servers, in fact, it goes to 11 different servers, of which nine of them are, have to do with marketing. So underneath the hood, <laughs> there's nine different companies, and most of them are just scraping your data uh, off the top. Uh, that's just so depressing. Yep. I have heard that from a well-placed source as well. That is probably the same one, I guess. Uh, very possibly. <laughs> that is just so depressing. It doesn't. It it doesn't surprise me. It's just depressing. Well, let me ask you guys um, before we break for the break. Should I go? Should I go up to twelve, Rob? What would you do? Would you go to twelve? <laughs> would you try to fix eleven? You know what I would do? I would probably actually clone my hard drive and go up to twelve on another drive to test it, and then. See what well, happened. To be honest, we have nothing to lose because there's not much. It's a brand new computer, so I could totally, re, you know, re-image the whole thing and then start from brand new. So, yeah, you know what though? I mean, keeping. I mean, the idea of a CPU spike that's just running—if it disappears when you hit play. Um, then it's probably not impacting much. That wouldn't no, scare no, me that, as much. That wouldn't scare me either, other than the fact that. Every once in a while, we get CPU overloads. Could it be a hardware issue? I I, I don't know. It, it could be. I, I'm right now. It's up for. I'm up for anything. It could absolutely. Well, why be. Why do you take to the Mac store having to do the diagnostics? Yeah. On the hardware itself. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. On the on the Mac. Yeah. They're the only yeah. ones with the tools. They go in and go. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, you know what? I, I absolutely could do that. I, I don't think it's the hardware because it runs fine in any other way. And usually, if yeah. when hardware goes, especially at Apple's, you start seeing the gray screens and you start seeing the the computer act funky, and it's never acted funky. The only thing that's ever acted funky is Pro Tools, and then Pro Tools, you get the CPU overload, you get the graphic problems, and then we also get the um, Pro Tools is. Quit or something like that, you know. Uh, it's crashed, or I forgot what the what the actual verbiage is. But those three things are just ruining, you know. And what's 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 amazing is is it's it's crashing at such unopportune times because you know Martin's old school, right? He he basically wants to use it like a tape deck because he's just he's just used to it, and he 
And when when songwriters when they're in that mode and when they're like when they hear it and it's vibing through them, man, when you anything that takes you out of that, it's just it's such a bummer. I mean, I I hear it, I hear it in his voice. He he's just like he gets so depressed, and I understand because it's it's in, uh, you know it's getting in the way of his his creativity, and that's that's for him. That's his life. He's a songwriter. That's what he does, and so it's it's a it's a pretty big deal in in that aspect. And so it's it's frustrating. You know, it's frustrating when you come from a system that was. You know, we were around six six point nine was just solid as a rock, and the only reason why we had to move up is because the computer died, and we can't you can't get six point nine computers in support for that. Rob, were you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, uh, what are you doing as far as USB and hubs and that stuff? Because the copy protection sometimes can lead to uh, some of those issues. Because the iLock and stuff they get checked at very in- inopportune right. times. And it's a sort of a service that's always running. I wonder if it might be. Well, I saw a thread on on iLock, and iLock was actually causing a, an issue. So we upgraded all the drivers. I made sure everything was was up to date. I just I told Martin that I would bring this up at the podcast because because uh, we're just so you know it's it's just depressing for me. It's depressing just to see such a high-powered system that it could be, right? A trash can Mac running, you know, the latest Pro Tools. And it's just, it's not even performing, you know, a quarter as good as what we just had. And that's what bugs me about this whole, the whole software, the whole when things change. And I'm not trying to be that old guy, but man, sometimes it's a question of Pro Tools, though. Because I've heard a lot of guys with iMacs killing it. So the question is, an iMac with an i7 compared to a trash can, yeah, I've heard everyone with an iMac has been fine. That's what I have I with an i7. Yeah. Everyone I know with trash cans are like, I'm not crashing as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep thinking like... I wonder, you know, I, I, it could be. So anyway, we're going <laughs> to... I'll take this tech support call offline. <laughs> but... Uh, have you, by the way, have you tried to actually just call Avid for tech support? Yeah, I called them. I called them once. I was on the phone so long. I'm going to call them again. Um, but it, it was literally, I was on the phone for like 35 minutes, and I was in the middle of a mix, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I've also I have a couple, I have a couple friends who are are in Avid that I that I talk to, and um, they were telling me about some of the problems and some things to try. So I have kind of a backdoor entrance to talk to those guys. I haven't actually gone through their official support, which I'm going to go through to see you know if that changes. But some of my other contacts, you know who was a really good, by the way, who's really good source for um, Pro Tools tech support is Sweetwater. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. are really good, you know. They and they, it doesn't surprise me they sell enough systems and, and they have their own guys that are really great. So, we'll see what happens, you know. But what's frustrating though is, is even just on their in their forums, you see people saying, "Hey Avid, can you at least acknowledge that this exists?" or "Hey Avid, can you at least acknowledge that this is a pro- a problem?" and it's just crickets. You just don't hear anything. And I can see why people get frustrated and stuff. It's been a long time since I've been quite in this much of a... So what are we all changing to? N- nothing. That's the thing. You just sit there and you're like, I'm going to take it and I'm going to take it some more. You know? I- it'll get fixed eventually. I haven't been beat yet. What I'm but- fascinating is like you talk about the nine servers. You know, with the tobacco... Uh, to- the problem at Sony of getting hacked... 
all the movie studios now are so freaked out mm. with security. And I know that if you look at the uh, MPAA Marvel security plan, um, you are not allowed to have any internet access out at all. So how does that run with Pro Tools 12? You can use 12, right? If it's if it's going to keep going, I'm trying. I'm trying to find the mothership, and I, I can't get out. The, you know, there's no portal out. Can you? Well, obviously, you'll have to be able to disable that. I don't know any pro facility that would have that yeah. online all the time. I, I would. I could see a pro facility using it, but I couldn't see it being online all the time. I couldn't do it. They because of the security measures at our place, we we couldn't do that. So. Yeah. It's interesting. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, um, we've got a ton of other stuff to talk about. But um, we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And uh, before the break, we were talking about our two favorite subjects, Guitar Center Dying and how much I hate Pro Tools. <laughs> Actually, I don't hate Pro Tools. I hate the problems that come with Pro Tools. The program, when it works, is brilliant. Anyway, uh, let's move on, guys. That's you know we're beating a dead horse there. Um, I got some sad news. Um, Rob informed us earlier that um, a guest of one of our podcasts, and I want to say probably in the fifties, um, although I have to I have to look it up for sure. Um, Steve Anderson um, passed away. That's really sad. He was a guest who we brought on because he's wired um, tons of studios and he's just he's really good. And he just came on. And we talked about wiring and studios and things like that. Um, Rob can tell you a little bit more about about Steve. Yeah, I mean, he was basically holed up at my place for about seven months uh, when it was time to wire it. It was a massive project, and he came up with the whole wiring plan and some really inventive new ways to do patch bays and to wire the place. And he just did an amazing job. People still marvel at it. And uh, I know he did some work for Bobby Summerfield as well. And he was just a really nice guy, super knowledgeable, uh, had been in the industry forever and people all over uh, really knew him and respected him. And I saw him last year at the AES show and it was, I'm glad we got to catch up uh, some, but yeah, I just saw the news uh, a few days ago and it was very sad. Well, that's, that's too bad. Well, we just you know, send our condolences to his family, and um, yeah. So I think I'll find out what uh, what episode he was on, and see if I can if I can post that. But um, yeah, it was uh, I do remember that was actually a really good one, and, and I learned a lot. Yeah, and my my studio is basically a monument uh, to his work. Anybody who's I mean, it's a pretty geeky thing, but if you peek behind my patch bay and look at the Elkos that he did, it's like a work of art. I mean. Uh, it really is just the looms that he put together, and you can understand why it took months when you see it. It's it's thousands and thousands and thousands of connections, and he had patience. I always used to tell him, you have patience that I could never even pretend to have. Um, but he would sit there, and I mean, really detailed work, and yeah, it was it was artistic. It was really great stuff. All righty. Uh, well, moving on, um, I, I wanted to talk to you, Scott, 
I want. I got a couple questions for you, but Uh-oh. something really interesting. Uh, I was reading the the forms and the the boards, and someone was going to do a a shoot of some artillery, I think, or some guns or something like that. It was on Facebook. I think it was in the sound designers forum, and um, I think he was going to ask about doing it or gear or something like that, and it turned into a conversation of. Do you need to record guns? Is there a need nowadays to do that kind of custom recording? Yes. And if so, why? How, how do you justify that? And I was thinking, you know who could justify that? <laughs> My good friend, Scott Gershon. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny, because um, funny that you say that, um, we had just canceled our gun shoot because of weather, but we're doing another gun shoot in June. So yes, we are doing actually several gun shoots. You know... The question becomes, you know, if there's a photograph of, of anything you've ever seen, why do you need another photograph of it? Uh, you know, and um, the question many times is the person who took it had a perspective, um, had a preference of how to capture that, which you might have be something different. It's like if you already recorded a drum set, why would you ever need to use any other mics than the mics you chose? So what happens, I think, is, you know, one of the things about interesting about gun shoots is the acoustical environment that you shoot it in. That's true. You know, is there a slap? Is there an echo? And if there is an echo, are you using multi-channel mics to get the wash of how it floats? And it moves. Is it in 5.1? Is it in 7.1? Are we doing Atmos? Yeah. Now, all of a sudden... You know, in a video game, what's the perspective? Let's say you've got good guys and bad guys running all over the place, and some are at 100 yards, some are at 25 yards, some are right next to you with the showcasings whacking you in the leg. Well, you want to be able to capture all the different perspectives. So when it becomes the same thing like when I use metaphors with drums. I got a drum snare hit. I got th- two or three. Why do I need anything else? Going whack, whack, whack. I want a four in the floor. I got a kick. I got a snare. Why do I need layers? Why do I need detail? Why do I need brushes and sticks? And so it's the same kind of thing. I think the technology um, allows the audio photographer to be able to capture something different each time. And also, I think that the mics you choose, you know, does it go through a Nagra first? So you get tape saturation, and then it goes in. Are you using FR2s? Are you using sound devices? Are you using a Diva? Yep. You know, what are you using to capture it? What kind of saturation are you using that's natural? Are you using ribbon mics that can handle high uh, dynamics? Right. You know, so I think there's, there's many ways of being able to capture it that's unique. I will say there's a credible amount of sound libraries out there now. Seems like everywhere there's a sound library. There's yeah, there's tons of them. And some guys are doing great jobs, but sometimes, um, you know, uh, what I'm trying to think of what I can say. I just did. I just got finished creating some sounds, like twenty three hundred of them. Right. And it's all unique, and it's it's a you know because it's every bit of acoustics. Again, it, it, you want to capture that that special moment. You know, as a sound designer, it's what you do. <laughs> you, you you manipulate sounds, you know? And if you really want to call yourself a, a sound designer, a sound editor, uh, 
I'm all for capturing your own sounds. But, you know, isn't it very much like when you're recording drums, let's say, it all depends on how it's going to fit in the song, the arrangement with the players, it, which is unique every time. So the film that you're working on is unique and how those effects fit in the grand scheme of things, which only you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, a lot of it is also like, do you want the Black Hawk Down style realistic pop, pop, pop in the distance? Right. Or do you want, you know, the big magnum gun that pops out? You know, how do you want to tell that story? It was fun. They did a, a movie, I don't know, 10 years ago called Shoot 'em Up. Yeah, Shoot 'em Up. Great and, movie. And it was, Great it, movie. Yeah, thanks. And it was all about guns. It was how many gun battles can you have in a movie? And it was a total parody. Was, I mean, there was women's giving childbirth. There's a gunfight. They're having sex. Oh, it's a gunfight. Oh, it was, it was so great. the whole point is, you know, when I interviewed for it, and even when I was working, and I said, I, I got to, I don't want to do the same guns because at that point, then it just becomes boring. So how do we tell the same story differently and kind of make fun of it a little bit? So, so you make the ridiculous, you know, the giant cannon type of gunshot, the Hollywood gun, and then you make the realistic gun that just, you know. So it, it was fun. It was a challenge to, to do so much and vary it. Um, yeah, I mean, there, I think there are certain things that people have recorded a lot of. Um, there are a lot of libraries, but that doesn't mean it's the best library. No, it's like, why, why are there so many drum programs? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, only need true. one or two, and then you're kind of done. And, and l- drum libraries, so yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah, a snare, a Ludwig snare is a Ludwig snare, and Pearl drums and and Thomas and yeah, but you have F- seventy different ones in in some programs. And how you hit it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I, I see, and I, I you know, and I'm with you. I agree with you. It's there's so much that you can bring to the table recording your own stuff. And, and the other part is the best stuff nobody shares. That's true. You know, there's some great, I mean, uh, as much as sad as I am, the Soundlux Library is now out. Everyone's got it, and it's out there for sale. Skywalker Library's not yet, but that would be kind of a fun library. You know, guys that have recorded stuff. I mean, there's a lot of great libraries, and and not only that, but each sound designer has their stash, which, you know, is, is what's unique to them. Hey, I got my own stash just from doing the television shows that I do because it's it's what makes my own sound, you know, when you when you come to the table. I just did a bunch of monsters for an episode and all those monsters I recorded, you know, myself in the booth and I have them all and it's it's my little stash that I use. And it's know? also fun that with all the latest te- greatest technology, you know, sometimes using something old all of a sudden, you know, someone used an RE, uh, was it 10? The little, the little mic? Not the RE20, but the little lecture voice. Little oh, yeah, an RE10. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden they go, oh, my God. It just kind of had a neat little crack yeah. that kind of bites through something. So, yes, it's an amazing, you know, there's all these weird little toys that are out there. You know, I, I use UAD Studer tape. And I remember the first time I did it, you know, you put it in Scotch 250 and... 15 ips and you go it's that sound (laughs) and you forget that because we don't have that sound anymore but when you hear it you go okay let me take that and combine it with the original sound and give a little fat and use that as as a compressor you know about the bandwidth on that 
apparently there's a problem with it where if you think you don't record at 96k anyway do you i do oh you do well yeah. unfortunately it doesn't pass at 96k it passes at something something less than that so interesting yeah uh bob ludwig told me about this because right. apparently there was something he did that they sent to one of the high def audio sites right which looked at it and basically sent it back and says this isn't high def you know, this, this is only 42K or whatever it was. You know, they said, wait, it's, it's, not, it's not the sample rate you say it is. Interesting. So we used the UAD studio. It was UAD, yeah. You know, it. I, I, never, I would never think of using the UAD studio as a tape. It's a color. So you put it on, you like the color, you don't. Yeah. So could it be better? I, I guess for me, having used tapes so much, whether using 456 or Scotch, and I just remembered, I remember all those sounds, that yeah. vocabulary of sound that's out there. So for me, I mean, I usually do all my recording in 96, 96, 24. I do all my processing at probably, well, creatures and certain things in 96, everything else at 48, everything's 32-bit floating within Pro Tools. Really? Yeah, I never do 24-bit. It's everything's 32-bit floating mm-hmm. because I like the dynamics and I like the math. The plugins sound better. Really? It's just, it's subtle, but I just hear it. How much bigger are the files? I don't know. It's, uh, to be honest, I'm carrying like 20 terabytes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like. Yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in <laughs> massive terabyte mode, so I'm, I, I. Hard drives are cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, with technology today, um, there's really no excuse for not recording your own sounds and. and sometimes and it's going to keep you unique and it's going to keep you employed because people are going to want to come because of your particular spin you know i got the h6n and let me just tell you i love that little thing i, I have an it. h5 I yeah. Love. yeah but I now wait, wait, have you seen the, the new zoom the eight input zoom yeah i've seen the, it's the f yeah oh the f8 one thousand dollars and it looks like sound devices yeah. wow yeah it's, it's it's a sound it's like yeah exactly but i'll tell you the thing about the the uh, h6n First of all, it sounds good. You know, the H4N didn't, didn't, yeah, sound, yeah, yeah, didn't right. sound good. The H6N sounds good, and um, and it's just so quick and easy. I, I recorded the monster sounds that I was doing for this uh, for the show that I'm mixing, um, and I was sitting in my chair, and I'm doing playback, and I'm watching it, and I'm just holding it, and I'm doing all the sounds live. I, on the I, internal mics? I, on the, uh, yeah, on the little, the yeah. little modules. Yeah. yeah, a little stereo one, and I just sat there, and I was... And then, uh, so I got some big ones, and then I wanted to get some mono ones to go along with it. So I just got a Sennheiser 416. I put it on the stand right next to me, and the same thing. Boom, boom, boom. Just phantom powered it through the whole thing. Worked out great. But you used to Pro Tools, did processing. So. When you start using different mics, I mean, I've been spending the last, I don't know, four or five days on the Foley stage. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of people use Norman shotguns, pretty common, 87 maybe. So I started bringing Sennheiser 800s, 8040s. You know, many different style mics, and it's hugely different. Because all of a sudden, you've got a detail in the mid range, that and a reach and a proximity that they were all very different. We were all amazed at like, wow, which mic do we use? So I was recording the same exact same thing in Foley with four mics, just because I, you know, one was really bright and had a little bite to it, which was kind of nice. And you used them all, yeah. I mean, it depends. At the end of the day, I'm going to combine some. May drop some, 
but there was no consistency because, you know, I'm smashing joint oil drums and I'm doing some concrete stuff and dirt stuff. And also we're like, oh, we like the 800. Oh, we like the 8040s. Oh, you know what the KMR 81? Sounds really but good. doesn't it take a lot more time just to audition all that stuff? Oh, yes. But, but you don't care. That if you want to, you know. Yeah. It's like, why in music audition drum kits? And why try different snares and toms? Yeah, I hate I every a lot moment of, of that. Was I? I hate every moment of doing that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? So, so sometimes you're just trying to find that one little thing that attention to detail because it's all about the detail yeah and what i find is you know it's just the way i listen um when i hear mid-range and and as you know i'm a big speaker freak all of a sudden you're listening like wow i've never heard that listen to the clarity yeah same thing with the mics when you start going up with the different mics the the clarity is so much or what, what makes that mic unique uh how often do you switch the mics with different preamps just to hear what the, the combination would be. You know, w- we do without getting crazy. Like there's a, um, a mic pre that it's a big buzz in town called Pueblo. Um, it's got no sound. Uh, it's got super clean, can't hear it, and tons and tons of gain. And it's kind of freakish. Um, in Foley, where you're trying to get the most, you know, hear somebody breathing, hearing a try hear cloth, and that was we had an Avalon, and it was noisy, and you hear because and and in the day it was fine, but we're cranking the gain on it, and I'm not sure what I was hearing more of the mic pre or the noise of the cloth, and then you use a really good mic pre and you hear no noise, and all of a sudden the clarity of the cloth becomes very distinctive. How does it compare to like a GML, which is very clean? Probably competes. I mean, I haven't tried. I have to A-B it. Um, You know, it's one of those things that sometimes you just know. Other ones are so subtle, you don't care. Like, the only way you're going to hear the difference is in in, an A-B comparison. But if you can't, then, you know, sometimes I've seen things that, uh, yeah, I mean, you can hear it every single time. So that's when you go with it. Um, When we tried the different mics, it wasn't subtle. I mean, then it becomes, what do you want? What do you need? Because the other part is, you know, when we talked about mixing, when we had dinner, sometimes people will use EQ to choose how they're going to cut through a mix. Well, sometimes what I do is I have multiple mics, and choosing what mic I use, because I have all the tracks I need, um, I'll just try different mics and go, ooh, I like the way that mic's character is biting through that mix a little bit, I'm going to use that one instead of that one. Hmm. So you deliver that to the stage? You deliver all, all of those? Sometimes I use multiple mics. Hmm. Yeah. It, again, I use it as colors. Not all, not every sound, but sometimes. See, which all, all this just goes to the fact of, you know, you want, you want to define your own style, you want to define your own sound, you record your own stuff, you know, and you use what's out there and you take the time and you put the effort and you... And you make it work, yeah. you know. And I think it's, I think it's, it's. There's, there's always a justification to be able to create your own sound, especially and, as a sound designer. You know, you're talking about guns. There's a, a Sankin CSS5 mic, and um, one of the things that's good and bad about Sankin is it, it, it rolls off the low end. So you think it's a gun shoot? Why would you ever want to run the, you know, low, uh, slightly do a roll off in the low end? No, <laughs> you. So I, I, you know, I tried the CSS5 in this one gun shoot a while back. 
It was the best sounding mic out of all of them we had. Well, it had a crack to it. Yeah, and it keeps that low end from building up, man. And that's what and, you got to you got to really. Be but sometimes I'll use a TPA forty oh seven that has beautiful low end to give that kick in the sub, that gun feel. Yeah, but it just all of a sudden we were like, wow, that was the the mic we thought the least right. would do the best, and we just kept coming back to it. So there's something nice about what it does, and I also think that. Mics, also it's specific mics, also like uh, different resonating chambers under different uh, pressure levels respond differently. Well, that's pretty. How's awesome. that for being heavy? Nah. <laughs> All right, we'll put that into the yes column. Hey, I've got I, I got another thing I want to bring up having to do with sound design, and uh, I'm part of the sound designers um, group and and Facebook and. Uh, and I don't post much on there. I usually read, but I had a friend of mine. Um, his name was Yal. He uh, posted a, a really innocent post about having to do some um, sound design work. He needed some creatures and, and for some stuff, and uh, and he posted it on there. And he said he'd like to work with um, some LA people, you know. So he wanted people to respond who are in LA. Is he from LA? Yeah, he's from LA. He's he was on our podcast. He was yeah, I'm. So anyhow. So we posted this really, really simple, innocent um, post. You know, wanted to meet some new sound designers and fresh blood and stuff like that. And and he got blistered by a couple guys who were from out of town. They were <laughs> they were really taking it personal. You know, asking why are you limiting your search to L.A. people? Best of luck. You know, and and saying things with. Due respect, I've been supervised by people on LA before and sit virtually with directors via Skype or Link on a regular basis from my studio in New York. Was basically getting all all over his for wanting to work with LA people. Well, what, but, well why? What was the request? What, what was the reason behind the request for LA people? Well, because mainly, you know, so that he can he's going to be the sound supervisor. He wants to be able to bring directors and meet with them and you know do face to face. You know, and I totally get it. You know, when I staff up and I look for freelancers. I want them to be local. You know, there's a lot of talented people all over the planet, and and there's no doubt there's workflows where you can do that. But generally, with projects that I do, um, I like the people to be to be local, to be in the same time zone, to be in the same city. You just never know. But the the thing is, is I don't think it's a bad thing to want to work with people that are locally. I mean, I don't I don't think that's a negative. I think that's that's you know, unfortunately. It's not too hard in this city. Well, actually, fortunately, it's not too hard in this city to find some really good people, you know, in L.A. Finding a sound designer in L.A. is not a hard thing to do. I used to think that, you know, being a sound designer in L.A. myself, (laughs) you know, I think there are are a couple hubs in the world, uh, L.A., New York, London, and probably maybe Vancouver and Toronto, where a lot of work is done. It's like a session player. You want somebody to come in, 30 minutes, bang out the tracks, read it down, do an amazing thing, and then walk out, and that's it. Well, I don't think it's all over America that people have that talent. They send the center in some of the areas where they can get a lot of work and do that all the time. So Nashville might be a great idea to find those kinds of players because that's where they congregate. So when you're looking, it's not like who can create in a bubble the best sound. That's not the point of it. No. The point is we got X amount of time to do something. It's got to sound really good. What do you have? What can you figure out? What can you create? And then we got to move on. And how do we conform it? And how do we 
have share a, a common nomenclature where someone goes, I don't understand what that means. What is what is that? Okay, I I certainly understand what you're saying. But that being said, why would you think that somebody from out of town who might have worked here for a long time and moved out to Oregon, for instance, mm-hmm. why do you think that they might not be able to share that nomenclature or you know, understand the culture of what's happening you, here? You know what? They would. They would. There's, there's no, if they worked in it before, they definitely would be able to. But sometimes... When you want to work with people local, it's just because you want to have access to them local. And I also think that, that you know, because it is technologically driven. I mean, this speaks sound design specifically. It's you've got to know the latest plugins, you got to know the latest techniques, you got to know the latest mics. Again, where does a lot of that work? Ha- not the work. Where does the mind throb happen? Where everyone's learning from each other are in these hubs. So when you're in Montana or Oregon or someplace that might not be a hub center, you may know it. I know a lot of composers that were in Hollywood who left, been away for 10 years, and went, I'm really behind. Yeah. I don't know the latest cool string program that some of the guys are using. Yeah. I need to get caught up. But, but that wasn't the idea behind the post, though, no, was it? It, it, was, t- it was more that if we need you face-to-face, it, we, we can do it. It's, it's more of... That exactly. If we needed, and if you're needed face to face, and and he just wants to wants people local to be able to to call everybody in and have a meeting with a director and sitting in on a spotting session in a studio. I mean, there's there's ample reasons why you want to have face to face. Like I'm working on one of the shows that I'm doing. Um, my foley guy is actually working out of his house. He could have been in you know Hawaii for all I care. He probably could be in Hawaii, but but um, but I called him in. Um, I want to have a face-to-face with them, and we did a spotting session on the first episode and kind of defined the sound of how I want the Foley to sound and, and what the rules are. And then I haven't seen them since. But sometimes it's good just to have that face-to-face. But on the but other that's hand... Skype's good, though. Yeah, but yeah. on the other hand... It's... Yeah. No, no, wait. Hear me out on this. Yeah. Let's just say, again, he's in Portland, and you say, I, I need to have a face... On Friday. I need to have a face-to-face with you on, yeah. on Monday, yeah. and someone can always fly in. No, that's true. That's true. Hey, look. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. No, 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 no. I understand there's, the, there's the absolute, reason for There's what? absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely. Look, it's, it's that type of a world where you can definitely be anywhere as long as you're mobile enough to get a, a plane right away. My, my point of the whole discussion isn't so much that it's not possible. It's... I was amazed at how much venom was coming from other sound designers, almost on a on a, a jealous rage. And I'm looking at these guys that are posting this stuff that are that are literally taking it personal. And I'm thinking, you know, even if you were in LA, if this is the kind of person you are to attack someone who's just doing a post, I don't want to work with you. Yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't hire you and nor do I want to work with you. It's like if you're that insecure about your own Gig that you have to insult someone who wants to post something to give other people in the area an opportunity. There is you're seriously not the personality that. What I, I find with. is film and TV. Again, L.A., New York, uh, London, gaming is all over the place. I mean, I've got gaming people who are in the middle America, and they could be anywhere, including Mars. And it all seems to work out, actually. And uh, me, Skype is great. Let me, no, Skype is good, but there's sometimes you, you can't do it. You can't do a playback over Skype, though, because no. it's just, you know, you want to have it everywhere. Be there. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. The guy who led the charge on this, though, it was, he's from New York, and I'm like, the New York has dude, tons of work. I know, dude. If you're if you're crying over missing this this independent thing on a post in Facebook, and you're supposed to be, you know, you should be busy enough in New York. Um, Rob, what do you think on this? Well, I mean, my whole feeling is it's. You know, and I've worked with lots of people who were in remote locations and doing satellite work and stuff like that. The main thing is if you're going to be if you're going to take yourself out of the mainstream, if you decide not to be in L.A. or New York or whatever is the hub for whatever it is you do, you better be that much better than the people in that market or you're just not going to be able to get the attention. I mean, you better be so good that the bosses who are hiring would rather work with you who they can't see face to face all the time than the people who are close by who make their life easier. You wouldn't know. Um, and there's a lot of really talented people. What you, just said, what you just said is everything, and that's what makes your life easier. Because what makes you think that everyone's sitting around waiting to accommodate you? There's a thousand things they need to get done in one single day, and anything that anybody does to make that process harder, then I understood it. But you, you know who illustrates that perfectly in the music world is Bob Ludwig where he moved out of New York. He had more work than he knew what to do with. He moved to uh, Maine and opened up Gateway there. And he got even more business because people just wondered but what he was. But he was a had. legend. Well, this is, he became a legend when he did that. I don't think he was a legend prior to his move or was considered but, that. I mean, he wasn't like high. I, let me introduce he was high myself on Bob Ludwig. Yeah, he was high end. But, but that yeah. illustrates the point, though. He was so much farther ahead, sure. and he still is. So, you know, he could do that and get away with it and actually have his business grow. Uh, another one is Doug Sachs, who moved out to, to Oxnard, moved out of town. Same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a small club of people who can get away with that. And if you're a like an up-and-coming sound designer and you're good, but there are plenty of other good people in L.A. and you decide to move out of L.A., you better have some loyal clients at that point because if you're just, you are making your, your future bosses work yeah. harder. And, and know, I'll tell you, you, if you're a sound designer in New York, I, I don't care how good you are in New York, and I've worked with sound designers in New York, and I've reworked sound design from New York um, – you know, there's plenty of work over there. Is and, there and really, there's, as there's, compared to here, what, what, how, how much wait, is wait, there? Wait, 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 what, wait New, New York? York? Yeah, New York. How New much York. work I, is I, there I, in New York as well, compared to here? I'll tell you what. Small. On the, on the, on the advertising end of things. It's big. There's a lot of advertising dollars and wait, wait, New York is a number, uh, Chicago's number one, New York's number two in, in, in ads. Yeah, I mean, there's just tons. I've done uh, my branding work on a couple of things that I've done. I get, I get sound design from New York all the time. See, and LA, it's tied in with composers, too. See, LA in the commercial is a tertiary market. It's not even secondary. It's tertiary. San Francisco is bigger than LA when it comes to commercials. So if you want to be in commercials in LA, it's a really small podunk yeah. town the best thing about la though is la you can do high level pretty much anything you can do high level games high level movies you yeah. can do high level branded commercials you can do high level um long form short form animation i mean it's just it's a it's a potpourri and the good thing about la is there's a lot of guys that are good at all of that stuff you know that can you can kind of plug in here or there um there's other markets where you get just the good ad guys but they've never worked on on film. As a matter of fact, here's a good example. I, I was working on one project, and I was working with some sound designers from um, from New York, and they prepped the files 
wrong from the way I wanted them. And so I called him up and I said, no, I need your files prepped like this. And the guy literally said, I've been doing this for 20 years and no one's ever asked me to do that. And I said, well, I don't know what you've done for the last 20 years, but out here, this is how we work. And it was basically just splitting up the tracks so that it came in a logical, organized fashion where you had your dialogue and then you had your um, sound effects, your mono sound effects, and then your stereo sound effects, and then your, your music. You know, it was just organized. Just send it to me organized, you know? And he would, you know, it would have been like I asked him to slap his mom. <laughs> he was like so offended, you know? You know, I, I tried um, in the heyday of commercials. When I was starting my company, I would go to New York and meet with the biggest agencies. And they all, they all loved us. And they said, oh my God, we love your resume, we love your work, we love the stuff you've done. If you were in New York, we would use it all the time. But if you're in L.A., nothing against it. And not only in New York, you've got to be in a special part of New York. Yeah. Really? Like if you want to do commercials in L.A., you've got to be in Santa Monica. Yeah. If you're in Hollywood, nobody wants to travel. To go to Santa Monica to Hollywood can be 30 minutes to an hour. Nobody has the time to sit in their car. They want, they want to either walk over or be a couple blocks away, take their bicycle. Yeah. It's, that, it's that kind of thing There's a, you know, for your, commercials. Your clients really <clears throat> dictate a lot of that because guess what? As much as you can have all of this super Skype, send me the quick time, let's approve it over FireWire, all of that, uh, FireDrive and all that stuff, my clients still like to come and sit in my bay behind me and get treated to the to the coffee and to the snacks and and they they to them it's an event to come in. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, I remember there was a point in time where in every post house in L.A. there was a kitchen and a chef, and one of the things you got with the beginning of your session was a menu of what you wanted for lunch or dinner. Is that still happening? I know it's happening at Warner Brothers. It is, and Universal sort of. It really comes down what you pay for. You got to pay for it one way or the other. But this was even the big indie houses, uh, right? But but in other words, if you're willing to pay for premium, you're going to pay for one way or the other. Sometimes it's easier because it feels like it's free, but it's not. It's it's built into the price of the of the facility. But I think sometimes things have been cut back so much. There's just no budget for it. Over at my place, we, if we have a client coming in and it's around lunchtime, we will feed them. Um, we'll get, Commercials are big. We'll, yeah. get a, we'll get a menu book in, and then we'll order out. Um, but there's no more in-house, though. Like no, there's no, it's no in-house. So we'll order out. Um, and it's, it's really at the scale of, of the, the project. You know, if you're going to spend all day in my bay with me, you know, six hours, seven hours, then, yeah, we're, I'm going to make sure you're fed because – Believe me, you do not want to do an approval with a cranky client, yeah. right? So they're going to be fed, they're going to be caffeinated. You know, the temperature is going to be perfect because you just want them to be as comfortable as possible. Do you charge more if the client attends? No, because most of the stuff that we do is is the same whether it, they were there or not. And as a matter of fact, I like the clients being there because I I like to have them in an environment that it's controlled where I can play them out of my speakers and I can play them out of my TV set and I can, you know, it's a very controlled environment. That's a big trend actually in music now, especially in mastering. Started in mastering and some of the mixers are doing the same thing where it's one price if you attend and it's another which is somewhat cheaper yeah. if yeah. you don't. Yeah. yeah, you know what? We just, um, we got the latest Mrs. single uh, mastered and it was that deal. It's cheapest. Luckily this guy was great and it was 
but it's cheapest if you just do it without attending. Um, one of my favorite, uh, there was a sign, I think we maybe even talked about this before, it was like a mechanics prices or something, and it was $100 for the service, uh, $200 if you want to watch, and $300 yeah. if you want to help. <laughs> and that's kind of the way, I've found mastering guys are like that too, because most of the time, I mean, they know their room way better than you're going to know their room as a guest and a visitor, and so if it's someone you trust, it's better to let them do their magic, and you'll yeah. save some money. I mean... That's actually worked out very I, I well. I like bringing the client in. I'll, I'm going to give you a hint. So I'm going to give everybody out there a tip about why you want to bring the client in. The reason why you want to bring a client in, at least the first couple times when you're working on their project, is that builds the bond. Because, sure, because that's what's going to keep them loyal to you. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're just this faceless file that shows up and they approve, it's, it's totally different than if they come into the bay and you shake their hand and you joke with them and then as time goes on you know it's it's a, hey how's it going and they give you a big hug and stuff like that if they haven't seen you in a you know in a couple of weeks you know that's you want to build their their loyalty because that's ultimately going to reflect in your paycheck you rob? know go ahead rob yeah i was just going to say as a vendor i like the client to show up because i like to build the relationship as a client I want to save the money and send it to someone who's awesome and get them to do their best for as cheap as possible. So I've, I've seen it work from both sides of the coin. I agree. As a vendor, I love having the client come because it's those relationships that are going to keep them and, loyal. And, that, and what happens is when you start doing that, eventually it flips the other way because they start trusting you. And if they can't make it to a session or something, then they just go, oh, you know, just do what you did last time. Or, and, you know, there's, and there's a lot of clients that feel, especially if they're part of the creative process, that feel that they uh, helped submit an idea. Yes, uh, that was my idea. Yes, I, I, you know, was, that was me. That is that is so true. And, and they just want and they invest. They're vested. If you like, you, like Rob, when you're saying get it done, you know, invested with the people. So at that point, the person who's working for you, you can get that guy, that guy, that guy. You don't really care. Somebody needs to get the work done. Yeah. What's in the interest of the person who's working for you yep. is to. Create a relationship where you always go back to that guy, yeah, or that person. It's so true. The, the only negative about bringing the client in, and some things like TV shows, the client will always show up. They'll always show up for the final playback because that's just that's what they do. That's their their job. But, but when you bring clients in, you run the risk of bringing clients in, and each ints has an opinion. <laughs> and I've I've been there where we'll do a playback, and there'll be four people, and. All four of them have notes, so you got to address notes from everybody. You but know? you know what? If you're if you're working based on time, yeah, like it's an hourly rate. We could be here as long as you want. We can get it done quickly. Yeah. We get and and so a lot of the films that we do, your people go, oh my god, oh my god, we got to get done fast. And I'm like, look, obviously I can't control a powerful director or a powerful producer. I'm here as a service industry to support you. Yeah. I will recommend and guide you as to, okay, this is going to take some time. And if they go, yes, I know, but let's do it anyway, at that point, they're controlling the purse strings, and I'll go for the ride. Yeah. And sometimes the ride is pretty crazy. Um, but And then you get paid for it because it's a, a, a time-based a way of billing. When you're on flats, which means you get it done, hell yeah, let me get it done and out you go. <laughs> 
Well, hey, listen, that we're going to have to wrap this up because we're going long. Who would have, who would have figured? <laughs> but uh, that's a, that was a that's a good you know it started one way and it ended up another. But the whole client thing, it's you know necessary evil, and you you want to develop that relationship because if you flip your client into your friend, the, you know they're going to be the most loyal and and. It works both ways. You know, you got to be loyal to your client and they'll be loyal to you. And it's a lot harder to build a relationship with a client if you're not in the same room as that That's client true. for any length. And you know what? Second of all, last thing, just leave y'all alone on that on that post. He's just looking for guys in L.A., okay? If he wants to work with guys in L.A., great. You know, find your own friend in New York, mister, and, and deal with him there, you know? There'll be opportunities for people to work from other places, but um, just, you know, don't be, don't be that guy. Don't be the troll. It just bugs me. Anyhow, all right. Well, hey, listen, we're going to be wrapping up. Um, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Um, before we get going, um, guys, any uh, Scott, are you working on anything you can talk about? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, are you working on anything you can talk about? Uh, well, I will say I am working on a lot of things I can't talk about, but I will say the Mrs. Uh, second single called You Told Me is actually uh, starting to get some traction on radio. It was one of the top uh, added songs on Hot AC Radio last week, and it's being added to a lot of stations daily, and it's being really well received, and uh, some big radio hosts are going to be talking about it very soon, and it's actually it's getting some traction, so it's pretty cool. How about you, Bobby? Uh, books, blogs, podcasts. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your yeah. blog is awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. If you thank if you. you're not if you're not f- on uh, subscribing to often. his his newsletter or read his his blog, Bobby's blog is awesome. Which one are you talking about now? Whatever one you send me all the time. Yeah, I, see, I don't know what that one is. But see, his blog is tied to my credit card. <laughs> Gosh darn it! Uh, is it the Music 3.0 where you talked about the? Uh, um, you post all the Forbes stuff and all the yeah. Uh, the, the, there's three blogs actually. One is a music industry blog. It's my music 3.0 blog. That, that's and the other one is a music production blog, and that's uh, my big picture blog. And the third one is uh, on Forbes. Well, there you go. Yeah. Any one of the, you pick any one. That's like saying you get you know an ice cream. You can have a slushy, or you can get a sundae. They're all good. So, oh, thank you kindly. <laughs> and how about you, Mike? Uh, let's see. I'm uh, I'm finishing up um, on a Fox TV series that's going to be premiering at the end of. May, I think. Can you say what it is? Uh, yeah, Golan the, Golan the Insatiable. It's going to be on after Family Guy. Cool. So um, it's going to air through the summer. So that's kind of fun um, doing the sound design and the mix on that with uh, with Yao, who was uh, our guest um, last podcast or two podcasts ago. I yeah, think. two. I think it was. Yeah. But um, no, no, it was the last one. It was, oh, this, was it? it was the uh, the nine year one. But yeah, so that's that's going to be kind of fun. That's going to be on Fox, and then also doing um, Axe Cop. Um, which is on FX. This just got picked up for a second season. I saw. Yeah, it, it's it's running right now. The second season's running right now. It's it's wacky. It's you know, you have scenes where you have you know tigers versus sharks and stuff like that. I mean, it's fun. It's just bizarre, weird stuff, and it's 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 a comic book on the screen, and then that's the way we kind of present it. And it's it's a, it's a, they're fun shows to work on. So yeah, so working on that. I've been on that. We have to finish up by the end of June on like 20 episodes of all the different shows. So we're in kind of push mode right now. 
But um, yeah, other than that, and then uh, doing the podcast. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but hey, listen, I know I think Martin's going to be back next time. He's uh, he's wanting to come back right now. He's suffering in his studio. Literally, as we're talking, he sends me another text with a with a picture of. A CPU overload because oh. <laughs> he sends me pictures of all the error screens, <laughs> and it's and it's CPU, and so oh. I I send them back. I I just asked the guys. You're gonna have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll keep you posted on that. Well, hey, listen. Um, once again, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. I want to thank uh, Delbert, who's running the board, and Colin, who is here shooting pictures because we're actually going to get some pictures and some photos up on the uh, on our podcast page eventually. And thanks for Rob staying up almost to one in the morning. I know, Rob. Yeah, it's pretty late here. You see me yawning, but... I do. I see you nodding off. I can't tell if Skype is stuck or if you're just zoning out on us. Yeah, no, Skype is fine. I'm stuck. (laughs) All right. Well, for all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>